Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 51 as we continue our study in the book of Isaiah. We are slowly making our way through this book. I think this is sermon number 73 in our series in Isaiah. It just seems like I just started on it, honestly. The last two years have gone by so quickly. So as we look at Isaiah 51 together, turn with me and look at verse 12, and this will be in our reading today. Before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Ask for his help with it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we pray that you would help us with it. We are people who are oftentimes afraid of our own shadow, much less the things of this world that would easily drag us down. The the perspective and the worldview that the world has is so easy and taunting for us to grab a hold of ourselves. And so we pray that as we open your word, that you would grab a hold of us and that you would change us, that you would make us more like yourself, that you would continue to sanctify us according to your own glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I read through this second part of chapter 51, if you remember last week, we kind of had this picture of Isaiah kind of rousing God awake. And so it made me think of those old cartoons, you know, like probably cartoons some of you haven't even seen, like a younger folk, like uh, Tom and Jerry, or maybe like Looney Tunes. And there was this episodes where they're always kind of featured this dog that was asleep, you know, his name was like Spike or Brutus or some kind of. And the dog had like a spiked collar and it was just massive compared to the other characters. And the dog usually didn't have any lines or anything. It was just a big obstacle. And so the whole episode was about, there was trying to do some sort of task. It was usually one of them trying to catch the other one or something, you know, something silly. It was cartoons. And the dog was right in the middle of that obstacle. And so inevitably the enemy character, whoever the enemy was, it was usually like, Tom, a cat, or another cat like Sylvester, which I haven't even thought about Sylvester in years until I had to think of his name. And they would come face to face over and over again with this dog, you know, and like lose all their fur or get flattened like a pancake, you know, something silly. So in our text today, we have the major character of the Bible that is seemingly being awoken, even though he never sleeps. We find God awakes in order to rebuke his people and remind them of the promises that he's made to them. Remember the context again, Isaiah here was speaking to people who were going to be in exile. The Babylonians were going to come for them in 150 years or so, send them into exile, and they were going to be there for 70 years. And these were the words that they were to read when they were in that time of exile. They would surely forget who... God was and the promises that he had for them. And so God is here not so gently reminding them of the promises that he has given them. These are promises that we have today. We need to be reminded of them also, because even though we aren't in exile to the Babylonians today, we do live in a world that seems very foreign to us as believers. 
at times. It's a world that is seemingly upside down. From everything that we read in Scripture, it's seemingly backwards from what we know to be right. This shouldn't shock us as believers, but it does. And even worse, many times it even scares us. And it shouldn't do that either. It scares us because we forget that God spoke the heavens and earth into existence. He gave the stars, each one of them, a name. And he also calls us his own. And so as we get to our text today, we're going to read God's answer to Isaiah as he rises from his supposed slumber. We'll do that in three main points. The Comforter's answer, the Comforter's challenge, and then lastly, the Comforter's promise. And so look with me at the text, Isaiah 51, starting at verse 12. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah 51, starting at verse 12. I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, of the son of man who is made like grass, and have forgotten the Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor, when he sets himself to destroy? And where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed shall, shall speedily be released and he, he shall not die or go down to the pit, neither shall his bread be lacking. I am the Lord your God, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. Wake yourself. Wake yourself, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. There is none to guide her among the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. These two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword, who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore, hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering, the bowl of my wrath, you shall drink no more, and I will put into the hand of your tormentors. I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, Bow down that we may pass over, and you may make your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. So again, remember last week, Isaiah ended with a plea to the Lord to do the things that he has promised. To go ahead and make all of those things right. You see that in verse 9 of Isaiah 51. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Isaiah is 
excited to see the Lord do the things that he said he's going to do. We see this also, John the Apostle in Revelation 22. What does he say? Come quickly, Lord Jesus, so that these things can happen. We know that we too as believers can share in this promise, in this prayer even, as we labor on earth. So in our text today, we have the Lord's answer. As if he has heard Isaiah's summons and he has awoken from his slumber and now gives his response. Of course, we know that God never sleeps. It's not as if he had to be woke up and Isaiah was the instrument to do so. He's always listening, even though lots of times it may not seem that way to us. It may seem like he is sleeping at many times to us as we go about our daily lives. And a lot of times we may think he's sleeping, kind of sneaking past him, but that's not really what's going on. It's more like we think that we're waiting for him to do something, waiting for him to help us, waiting for him to see what we're going through and help us. But he doesn't help us always in the way that we think he should. And that's what we're going to see in our text. Today we see that he never leaves, of course, but he returns to challenge us to wake up and to see and to hear the truth. That brings us to the first point, the comforter's answer. Again, verse 9 says, Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Isaiah's not being arrogant here at all. He just really can't wait for the promises of the Lord to come true. But the Lord awakes. Verse 12, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies, the son of man who is made like grass? The language here that I, I am he, seems a little bit redundant to us, but it is normal language announcing the deity. Jesus used the same kind of language in the New Testament when he made his famous I am statements. If you look at the original language, it literally reads I, I am. And so this is a pretty normal thing, a normal way for God to announce himself. Notice this isn't the answer that we'd expect from a God who is being continually put forth as someone who just simply waits for us. He waits for our every whim. He only ever wants to do the things that we ask him to do. That's not the God we serve. He answers as one who has a counter for his people. They are the need, the ones that need to wake up. Who are you that is afraid of a man who dies? Who are you that have forgotten the Lord, your maker? So as the Lord awakes, he rebukes his people for their lack of faith. Again, remember the intended audience here is an audience that are people who are in exile. They're being oppressed by pagan enemies in a pagan city. These are people who are in Babylon. This pagan city that doesn't worship God. These are the people of God that are there and they're waiting to hear, when are we going to get to come out? So the rebuke comes to a people who are afraid of their actual oppressors. They're giving those people, those oppressors, more power than they actually possess. The people who would read this during exile should have known better. They had the prophets, the same ones that we read today, The prophets assured them this wouldn't be the end of God's people at all. 
mean, Isaiah's told them this over and over in the preceding chapters, has he not? That there was going to be this one called the servant, and he's going to rise up and he's going to bring deliverance to the people. We see that in Christ in the New Testament. Last week we read about Jeremiah, who told them the exile was going to be long. He even told them how long? Seventy years. And so there's, but there's going to be an end to it and there's going to be redemption. But in the meantime, you should thrive in the place that you're in. That you should trust the Lord. Yet they wouldn't. They were afraid. We see the same thing throughout the scriptures. The people of God being afraid. Not following him, even though he said everything's going to be fine. Just do what I've asked you to do. Abram's trip to Egypt, right? When he tried to pass off his wife as his sister. Jacob's continual fear of his own brother, even though he's told you're the one. David fearing his own son Absalom. As if... You know, something was going to knock him off the eternal throne of God. Elijah fearing Jezebel. Remember that? Elijah thinking, I'm the only one who believes now. It's not, it's pretty normal for people of God to be afraid of people, of men. These are real fears, of course. And in those days, it was like real life consequences. These people had actual life and death on the line. They were actually afraid for their life that doesn't give them an excuse so what excuse do we have then we fear people for much much less today can be seen in our relationships with people that we love the most the way that we have this fear of man about us we develop codependencies it's to kind of use a psycho babble word in order to make our own needs be melt or met. That word codependency is just psychobabble for a word that the Bible calls the fear of man. That's it. It's something that we all struggle with to one degree or another. For some, it's those clingy kinds of relationships that we have with others. We want to just desperately make sure they still love us. For others, it's even the development of this whole persona, this kind of fake persona that we've created that we want others to see instead of the real us because the real us is incredibly insecure we all deal with this at some level we all deal with it at some level there's a book called when people are big and god is small by ed welch incredibly useful book for this particular theme and so i strongly recommend it it was one that really helped me to see my own fear of man Understand the gospel is the only remedy for that, the only continued remedy for that. So when we read Isaiah 51, we read that the Lord wakes up and he says, Who are you who's afraid of man who dies, man who is like the grass? Have you not, for, have you forgotten your maker? We read about a people who were being physically imprisoned. Something that we have difficulty relating to at this point in our own histories. We're not facing that at all. Yet we can all relate to the feeling of being imprisoned by how others perceive us. Absolutely, we can relate to that. Being the sin is the exact same. We fear man rather than God. And all of our thoughts and actions are changed as a result of that. To Israel in exile, to us today, God issues us a challenge. It brings me to the next point. The Comforter's Challenge. Look with me at verses 17 and 18. Wake yourself, 
Wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem. You who have drunk from the hand of the Lord, the cup of his wrath. You who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. And he goes on. There is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons that she has brought up. Rather than extending a challenge to the Lord to wake up, it is us who should wake up. And notice the words who follow. The Lord is reminding them of their complete helplessness. And he does so reminding them of the wrath that is being poured out on them because of their sin. The picture here in verses 18 and following, 18 through 20 specifically, is of a people who have no sons. All right, Their sons have been taken away for some reason. Which if you think about in the culture of that day, would have been a really big deal. It would have meant that there was no representation for the family. It would have meant that there was no income, no protection. It would have meant a whole lot of things in those days. Today, not as big a deal then. It would have been a really big deal. It would have been the ultimate death knell even for any civilization. For many civilizations of that day, repeated attacks from the enemy literally left them with only children and old men. They died out because they just didn't have anyone to further their line. The picture here is a of a people who have nothing. They have been left completely powerless. All of this is due to God's decree against them. The cup of his wrath, as he calls it here. The cup of staggering. They have drunk to the dregs. Literally to the bottom, where all the floaty pieces are at the bottom. Yet, they are being told... To wake up. And this is a tough picture. So I read through this this week. Something that I really had to think through and study and read about. Because it seems really odd. In the middle of here. That they they were left with no sons. Because we know about Israel. When they were in exile they weren't left. Without men. At all. Many of their young men were taken into captivity. Some of them even in the palace of the leader. We have stories about that right? We have the whole book of Daniel. The first part of the book of Daniel kind of regales us with those stories, particularly of the man named Daniel. Of course, you would think that. Another named, or three others, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We don't really know them by those names. We know them by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from flannel graph fame. These young men weren't killed, right? You know their story. They were thrown into the fire and they weren't killed and they were taken out and rather than like exiled even further, They were like risen up to high places in this pagan land, in this pagan government, because they refused to bow a knee to the pagan God. Incredible. So what's going on here? We saw the sons of Israel be successful in exile. What's going on here? What we have here is a metaphor for helplessness. And if we compare with the language of the the first verses that we looked at, you see this kind of stark difference between those who are the God who is powerful, who calls things into existence, who is unable to be thwarted, and man who is helpless, able to be simply snuffed out according to God's decree. And yet, who is it then that the people of God choose to fear? Do we choose to fear the one who is all-powerful, 
who is able to do what he pleases when he pleases, or the one who has nothing, who has no power, who's here today and gone tomorrow. Remember the people that he's talking to here. He's talking to Israel. Israel weren't just any people. This isn't just any nation that we're dealing with here. This is the people of God. And this idea of them being the people of God isn't a new development in the scriptures. It's not as if this just happened. The entirety of scripture is written about this people of God. It's been arranged for hundreds and hundreds of years. Ever since God first said to Abram, you are my people. You're going to have people as many as the stars are in the sky are going to be your people. These people regularly use the names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to talk about the covenant faithfulness of their God. The throne of David, if you read throughout the Old Testament, that phrase literally just conjures this picture of awe and magnification pointing to something that lasts forever. I mean, who was going to be born on the throne of David? It was Jesus in the city of David. Yet they feared the Babylonians. Who at this point in history had only recently been captives themselves to the Assyrians. And the Assyrians by this point were pretty much gone in history. They feared what man could do to them on this earth. Because they forgot the plans that God had for them to send them back to the promised land, to give them hope for eternal life. So when God says to them, wake up, it's high time they did. They need to wake up and realize that their fear is wrongly placed. It's time to turn to God in repentance, remembering the promises that he has for them. Well, it's the same for us. The same thing can be said of us. One of the things that the pandemic has given us that other generations have had, and this one really hasn't had up to this point, is it showed us the things that we really value and the things that we really fear. So understand, when I'm saying these things, the pandemic is real. COVID is a deadly thing. I'm not at all suggesting that we shouldn't take precautions or listen to current science and understanding of things, absolutely we should. We should. But with that said, the change in our world in the last 18 months has brought our deepest fears to surface. Just look at what a person is talking about. Do we fear death? Do we fear a loss of freedom? Do we fear inconvenience? Do we fear being ruled by someone we didn't vote for? Do we fear man or do we fear God? These aren't questions I can answer for you, but I can tell you that we're all guilty at some level for sure. So brothers and sisters in Christ, what should we do then? Well, we should repent. We should turn to God. Remember the promises that he has for you. We aren't just anyone. We aren't just normal people we are the people that god looks at us and says you are my people there's not other gods there's not other my people there's one god and there is one his people and that is us and so when we fear other things what should we do we should repent we're a child of the living god 
To fear him is the beginning of wisdom. And it's, it sets us free. Wake up. Realize that what we have in Jesus Christ is so much more than any leader or restrictions or anything could ever take away from us. Stop living your life as if it ends when you take your last breath. You have eternal security for all eternity because of the promises that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. That brings us to the last point, the Comforter's promise. Look with me at verses 21 and 22. Therefore hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk but not with wine. Thus says the Lord, your, your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. The bowl of my wrath you shall drink from no more. This is incredible, even in its context, because when we just we just read, right, that Israel had drank to the dregs the cup of his wrath. Now read that he is going to take that cup of wrath from them. For Israel in exile, he would take that cup from them and he would give it to their tormentors. He would give it to Babylon. Babylon is something that we can study about today for sure, but we can only visit its ruins. And we know why. Because the Lord, for his reasons alone, saw fit to strike them down to nothing. He, he raised up another leader. We've already read about him in the book. His name is Cyrus. And he came and he struck them down. And Babylon's a ruin that we can now visit. But this all pointed forward to a much greater event. Because when it came to my sin and your sin, he didn't merely take it away. Understand, he didn't merely just take it away and forget about it. Because if he did that, he wouldn't be just. All over the scriptures, he calls himself a just God. A just God gives sin exactly what it deserves. And that's death. The full cup of his wrath. Yet, every Sunday, we're here talking about the eternal life that we have. And we know how that is possible, right? It's because of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God incarnate. What did He do when He came to this earth? He drank deep from the cup of God's full wrath. And this was a cup that He willingly took, that cup of staggering I love that term. If you read about, if you go back and read Jesus in the garden and read that cup of staggering in, in that con, it's incredible. He drank it to the dregs for his people. His people in Isaiah's day, Isaiah saw his day and was glad. His people now, we see his day and we should be glad. He took the wrath that we were owed and he gave us the reward that he alone was owed. He gave us his very righteousness that we might have eternal life. And so I ask you the question that Isaiah asked his people, who are we to fear anyone else but the one who would do this for us? This Jesus doesn't remain in a grave somewhere that we can go visit because he took the challenge to wake up very literally 
And he awoke from his grave, and now he's at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. When we read here in verse 22 that God pleads with his people, he pleads with them only because of what we have in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, we can actually go to his very throne. The, cur- the temple, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. We have access to the very throne of God because of what Jesus did. He pleads our cause and he pleads with us even today from his word. Who are we to fear anyone else than the one who gave us eternal life? Again, believers, repent, turn back to him, fear God, not man. If you're here this morning, you're an unbeliever. Maybe you're hearing this for the first time. Maybe the gospel is just now making sense. It's because God has opened your hearts and your minds to see it. I know the world's a scary place, but the one who holds it all together, who doesn't sleep, offers you this. Fear him. Fear the Lord Jesus Christ. Call out to him today and be saved. Believe that he is Lord, that he is raised from the dead and you can be saved today. In conclusion, the question for us, brothers and sisters in Christ, is what do we fear? We need to answer that question for ourselves. Do you fear a world that will be different tomorrow? I promise it will. It will be different. Or do you fear God who's the same yesterday, today, and forever? Because if he's the same, we can trust that he will keep his promises to believe in the covenant promises of God and share that same hope with the lost world. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we are ones who have a hard time remembering your promises even on our best days. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to hold your promises dear to us near to us that we wouldn't forget them that we would always remember the things you have said about us the things that you have done for us so that we would not fear the world but instead we would bow before you in submission and awe and not only that lord that we would tell the rest of this world who still thinks that there's someone else that there's something else to save them Instead, help us, Lord, to tell them about you. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So at this time, please stand with me as we sing our response to God's holy word.